Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. In this episode, we sat down again for the second time to chat with our friend, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, or Dr. B, about gut health and its incredible influence on brain and body homeostasis. Will is an award-winning gastroenterologist, internationally recognized gut health expert, and the New York Times bestseller author of Fiber Fueled, and the recently released The Fiber Fueled Cookbook. He sits on the advisory board and is the U.S. Medical Director of ZOE, has authored many articles published in peer-reviewed scientific journals, has given multiple presentations at national meetings, presented to Congress and the USDA, and has taught thousands of students how to heal and optimize their gut health. This conversation was quite illuminating as we learned a great deal about the latest findings of the impact of food on gut health how people can rehabilitate their gut for better overall health, and discussed his fantastic new cookbook, The Fiber Fueled Cookbook. We've added the information about the book and his website in the show notes, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to our podcast and speak with us. It's so great to have you back. How are you? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to be here with you guys and to have this conversation. It's such an exciting time for us, for you, um, with you know the publication of your amazing second book, The Fiber-Fueled Cookbook. Uh, it's a beautiful book with so many wonderful recipes, and uh, we can't wait for everybody to read it. How has it been for you, introducing this book to the world? Well, uh, as you guys know, writing a book is a tremendous amount of work. So I started working on this book in um, like formally working on building this book in January of 2021. And it was actually quite challenging for me to be totally honest with you because I had so much going on in my life. I was trying to juggle being a full-time medical doctor, taking call um, every third night as a gastroenterologist and the amount of attention that was coming uh, in my direction after the success of Fiber Fueled and then simultaneously, like a lot of resources that I used to take advantage of prior to the pandemic, I could not, I could no longer use. So like, for example, I didn't have a place to write. I mean, I literally did not have an office that I could write in. And so, so it's the point being there's most people will never understand the amount of effort that I put into this book. And to me, to put that effort in, to know, like, to, to where, like, I'm kind of one of the only people who really knows how how hard that was, and have it come out and be so proud of it, and sincerely believe that this is going to transform people's lives, and see it start to go out into the world and have that effect. It's like, you just, you go, this was hard, but it was worth it, and yeah. that's a great yeah. feeling. We yeah. had the privilege of um, getting an advanced copy yes. and. Um, you know, we've been in touch and we've been speaking with you and we know how hard it has been. And I, I really think that putting out a book in the world is a gift. It's like a gift for everyone. So thank you for all that fantastic work. I mean, uh, well, I think, go yeah. ahead, Dean. No, no, go to ahead. be honest, I mean, th this book is so rich and so important. The resources are lacking. Let's be honest. I mean, every one of our patients and every one of the people that we meet in the community, one of their biggest problem is is you know they can't find a content that actually gives them the resources to live healthy. It's easier to see in a clinic and say you know see a patient in a clinic and say just eat healthy and 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 in in a way it's disempowering 
because you just right. made them feel guilty and you didn't give them resources and you just separated right. them. And the research shows that when you tell people something like that, they actually do worse even with their medicine mm. because you've disempowered them and that disempowerment actually translates into other aspects of life as well. But when you have resources like your books and, and this amazingly beautiful book, it, it does so much more than just give people, you know, knowledge. It gives them resources. It gives them hope. It gives them a way to just open up a page and create something for themselves and family. Uh, so to me, I think something like this is way more important than all the research that, well, the research is important. Let, let's not get that wrong. And we are part of that. But in any, many ways, 100,000 papers come out. And how many of them are useful? Mm. Yet this book will probably help thousands of people in their home change their lives. Well, if you look at it this way, it, <clears throat> this book, every recipe, every line that's in there, and it, mm -hmm. it's it's a cumulative effect of probably hundreds and thousands of paper that you know Will probably started reading when he was in medical school, and so you know to give that summarized applicable version of that knowledge where people can just open up a page and apply it into their life is, is amazing. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because you see people who um, write popular books and there's a specific pattern to their, to their choices of what they do because they make choices based upon what they think will sell. Right? So, okay, I'm going to do my weight loss book and then I'm going to do my longevity book right? Yeah. And it's like this specific pattern that you see go down the line. Okay, these are the popular books and this will sell. Yes. And on the flip side, I'm over here and I'm like, look, uh, no one thinks fiber will sell, <laughs> but we have to talk about fiber. Yeah. Right. And um, people don't necessarily want to write books about digestive health, mm -hmm. but like this book can be a resource yeah. as, as you've both said. And it fills a gap, like part of what I um, feel that I'm doing here is like the decision wasn't, let's create a book that we believe is going to sell a lot of copies. I hope that it does, because that means I'm making the maximum impact with my book. But um, instead, what this was, was, okay, what do we need? Yeah. Yeah. What do, what do people need? Well, there are 75 million Americans with food intolerances. Mm. And when they go to their doctor, one of two things happens. Either the doctor rolls their eyes, and the reason why is actually not because the doctor actually like is frustrated with the patient, it's instead the doctor's frustrated they don't have solutions. Mm -hmm. Right? And they, they like they feel bad about that. Or the second thing is that they are like uh, prescribed tests that could cost six hundred dollars or more that have never been validated and they just confuse people. Yeah. yeah. And so people deserve better solutions. There's a lot of people who read my first book and came back to me and said, you have inspired me. I am motivated. I want to be fiber fueled, but I don't feel well. Hmm. And so this became a natural, like, look, there's unfinished business. The gastroenterology world needs this book. Yeah. Not, not just the plant-based world. The gastroenterology world needs this book. My world needs this book. And there are a lot of people out there that this this book could be the bridge that guides them to better health. Yeah. And that's why I had to write it. 
I mean, it, it, it speaks to, it, it's a testament to the validity and, and truthfulness of this content because fiber is not the sexiest thing you want to write about, right? <laughs> fiber is not, Spe- but yet- Speak for yourself, Dean. No, no, speak no, no, for yourself. I'll, 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 no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the sexiness. <laughs> I'm going to show the sexiness. But it's, it's an amazing f- factor that I heard you speak on uh, Rich Roll's podcast when it comes to heart disease, when it comes to cancer, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, strokes, I mean, top killers, it's literally the factor that will reverse the top, you know, uh, number one, number two, uh, number five causes of death and more. And, and, and if, if we don't speak about this, we're actually ignoring one of the most important factors. So give us those numbers. I, I, I think it's, it's the most important thing people can hear that something as simple and as, 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 as something as simple as fiber can change their life. Yeah. So you're referring to the Andrew Reynolds study, which was published in The Lancet in 2019. And in this systematic review and meta-analysis where basically like he's pulling together all of the available data. And it's not like, oh, let me just pull the fiber studies that say fiber is great. This is like, let's pull all of them, including the ones that say fiber is worthless and it does nothing. And let's put it all in one place. And let's, let's, let's see how it shakes out. Let's, let's allow the data to speak for itself. And they found that people who consume more dietary fiber are less likely to have a heart attack, die of heart disease, less likely to get esophageal cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, less likely to die of, of any cancer, uh, less likely to have a stroke, less likely to be diagnosed with diabetes. And of course, they live longer when they consume more dietary fiber. But then Dean... Uh, beyond the Andrew Reynolds study, we also have data to indicate that increased dietary fiber, as you guys well know and have written your own books about, mm-hmm. dietary fiber uh, is associated with less likelihood of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And it's also associated with less likelihood of being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. So now we're up to six of the top 10 causes of death in the United States that are potentially preventable and could be potentially avoided by quite simply consuming dietary fiber. Now, this would not be headline news or really something that I would be so um, uh, assertive about pounding the drum on if people were consuming the sufficient quantities of fiber. But they are not. (laughs) They are not. I mean, 19 out of 20 people are wildly deficient in fiber. And the amounts that, like, for example, people are consuming, the average woman is consuming 15 and a half grams of fiber per day. Well, 15 and a half, the recommended amount, minimum. Is 25. Yeah. Wow. Men, we're consuming 18 grams of fiber per day. It makes us sound like we're so great. We're consuming two and a half grams more than women are. Uh, no. Uh, the recommended amount for men is 38 grams. We're even more deficient than the women are. Wow. So we're nowhere close to where we're supposed to be. And we are paying so much. We're spending so much money, as you guys know, on healthcare in the United States. Like, at a minimum, the number two country in terms of per capita spending, we are more than double that at a minimum. And we have all this money. We are the richest country in the world still. I mean, we, we still are. And countries like Costa Rica that, you know, have spends uh, one sixth of what we do per capita on healthcare and our borderline third world countries. I don't mean that in any sort of negative or derogatory way. I love Costa Rica. I've visited there, but that is not the United States of America. Yeah. And their life expectancy is as much as long as ours. And they're sitting around consuming legumes and and rice. And like, you know, that's like, that's their, that's the foundation of their diet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're here, 
uh, with 60% ultra processed foods and 30% animal products and massive, massive broad scale fiber deficiency. Wow. Yeah. Scary numbers. It is. It just kind of creates a sense of urgency for us to do something about it. And uh, so excited about all this message. I think it's important for you to tell everyone your story. And I know you probably have said this many times and we've heard it and we absolutely enjoyed it because it's fascinating. Um, tell us how you embarked on this journey and what made you look at food. Because as we were speaking earlier, we really don't get um, exposed to nutritional sciences as medical students, residents, and in our fellowships. I didn't at least. No, me and so how, how does a GI specialist, you know, who is all, you know, who, we're all focused on the science and procedures and whatnot. How did you get interested in food? Yeah. So, uh, I too had no education during my training at great American institutions, Georgetown for med school, Northwestern for residency, the university of North Carolina for my GI fellowship. As a GI doctor, we're supposed to be the nutrition people. I mean, we are the gut experts, right? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Our, our, our nutrition expertise is tube feeds, <laughs> which is relevant to a hospitalized patient. Yeah, but it is not it is not relevant to ninety nine point nine percent of a, of normal people in the United States. They're not reliant on tube feeds for their nutrition. Yeah, um, and so you know, went through this rigorous education uh, and training program, and I'm a very hardworking individual. I'm very goal oriented. I can't help that. I will always be that way. I continue to be that way, and I was working myself to the point six days a week you know, 15 to 18 hours a day, sometimes 30 hours in a row where you don't literally, you're working so hard in the ICU that you don't even have time to stop to eat. You're, you're just going, 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 and you got sick patients that you're frankly trying to keep alive. And um, during that process, I was forced to make compromises. And the reality is that unhealthy food, fast food, junk food, it fit into my life so perfectly because it was convenient and honestly, it tasted good. I liked the way it tasted, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it was inexpensive, I had no money. I had no money, I had a lot of debt and I was being paid less than minimum wage if you calculated out based upon the number of hours that I was working. Less than minimum wage is what I was making as a doctor. And um, so, and it's, it's just, it's low effort, right? It's low effort, like it's so easy. So I doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on these things. And then I suffered the consequences. And I had a health crisis uh, about 10 years ago. And I was 50 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, high anxiety, extremely low self-esteem, which if you didn't know me well enough, you would have thought my life was perfect because I was accomplishing goals that were beyond my own personal professional goals. I was the I, I won the highest award in my residency program out of 60 people, and they're all brilliant. Uh, I was the chief medical resident at Northwestern, one of the top programs in the country, and then I went on to a grant from the NIH. Yet I just wanted to curl under, curl up under a blanket in a dark room and be left alone. That's where I was. That's how I felt. Wow. 
And I knew that something needed to change in my life. And I didn't know how to do it. My medical training, at this point, I am now a board-certified internal medicine doctor. I don't actually have to continue my training. I could go out and start taking care of patients. But I didn't know how to fix this. The pills, the procedures, they didn't fix this issue for me. And so I turned to exercise, and I tried to just work, work, work my way out of this hole, thinking if I exercise enough, you can eat whatever you want. And it didn't work. I did grow stronger or faster or whatever measure you want for exercise, but I did not lose my gut. Um, and I did not kick like the depression symptoms. Uh, I continued to be miserable and feel unwell. Mm -hmm. And then my life changed when uh, in early, so I met this person in late 2012, like basically our first phone call ever was literally Christmas day, 2012. And I went on our first date in early 2013. And I'm on this date with this person, this woman. And um, I mean, I've just, I've never been around someone like this before because she, like, we're in North Carolina. It's pork country. So, so I'm getting the pork chop. Yeah. And she says to the waiter, I know it's not on the menu, but can you put some collards and black eyed peas and mashed potatoes, just make it look nice on a plate. <laughs> and so I'm like, are you one of those V words? I don't even know what they mean. I don't know the <laughs> difference between them. Um, but what I did observe is that this person cleaned her plate. She raved about how good the food tasted. She loved her meal as much as I did. She looked absolutely amazing. Her health seemed to be effortless. And we're done with the food and I have not had any alcohol, but I am hungover, and I feel like I need to go home mm -hmm. and she wants to keep hanging out. And I'm like, I don't know if I have the energy for this. And it turns out, by the way, that many people may already know this. This is my wife, <laughs> <laughs> except we're on a first date. So yeah. I didn't know she was going to be my wife. And now here we are. And we, we just welcomed our third child into the family less than a month ago. That's Congrats. amazing. Um, Congratulations. So, yeah, so here we are 10 years later and um, it's like kind of the 10 year anniversary from this pivot moment in my life. Amazing. So I started to make small changes. This was not a radical change. I didn't become vegan instantaneously. Instead, I one day decided instead of going to Hardee's where I could get 2,500 calories for $5, mm -hmm. I instead diverted home and again, like, I'm a single male in his 30s. Uh, I can't, like I'm not a gourmet chef. So what can I possibly do that might be healthy? So I pulled out a blender and I threw stuff in there. And <laughs> I made like a literally 40 ounce smoothie. Yeah. And I, it was like literally at least three and a half large, like 16 ounce glasses, maybe not 16 ounce, 12 ounce glasses, three and a half of those. And, um, so I drink this and I'm like energized yeah. instantly. Yeah. And I go, I feel almost like my body just experienced something that it's been missing. Mm. And it almost felt like this weight, this like weight that has been, um, resting on me. All of a sudden it got lifted mm -hmm. and this energy led me to the gym and I had this great vigorous workout 
And I'm like, dang, man, this was a great day. <laughs> what a great day. Yeah. I felt yeah. awesome today. I yeah. felt the way that I'm supposed to feel today. Mm-hmm. And so it was enough for me to go, I got to do that again. Yeah. yeah. So then he did it the next day and then the next day and the next day. And then I like made some changes to my coffee and then I stopped drinking so much soda. And then I, and it just started like basically making these changes and they all start adding up. And as they start to add up, and as it becomes more profound in my life, my health issues that were troubling me, they disappear. They just disappear. They're not, I'm not even struggling. I'm not even fighting or pushing back. They're just gone. Yeah. Where did they go? I feel alive. I feel energized and amazing. Like I have a new lease, a new lease, and I feel young again. And so this inspired me. But so then I start to ask questions like, okay, but... Like I trained at some of the top institutions in America. How come I haven't heard anything about this? There must not be any research on this. This must just be that I'm an anecdote. And I go to the medical literature and I'm like, hold on. There's literally thousands of high quality studies that will support and back up the experience that I personally had. Now, of course, like this ultimately gets distilled into my work as a medical doctor I start bringing this into my medical practice and it, my pattern was like this work during the day, study nutrition at night, bring it into the clinic again tomorrow yeah. and, and keep sort of escalating my knowledge and my ability to intervene with my patients using nutrition. And I'm witnessing these miracles. These patients are having breakthroughs on par with what I experienced, but it's in their own unique way. Maybe it is, you know, taking their irritable bowel syndrome that is destroying their life and making it so that it doesn't really bother them that much. Mm-hmm. Or their ulcerative colitis goes into remission. Or their acid reflux, they, they don't really need to take that medicine every single day now. Maybe it's once in a while, right? Signs of progress. So this is continuing to occur in my clinic. I'm now a practicing gastroenterologist for several years And I'm continuing to escalate and learn more and dig more into this. And I get to a certain point where I feel compelled. It's not enough. It is not enough for me to be a doctor in a clinic with a few hundred people. People deserve to hear this. Everyone deserves to hear this. So I chose to go public with this. And I started my social media account, the Gut Health MD. Uh, That was in 2016, the summer of 2016. Completely honestly, there were so many moments where I should have quit or I could, I, or I could have quit. I yeah. could have quit yeah. because uh, no one really cared. So mm-hmm. if my mission was to spread a message and pound a drum, I'm not really accomplishing it because no one is really reacting to what I'm putting out there. But then in 2018, like I stuck with it because I felt like this needed to happen. There were plenty of nights where I would be spending two hours on a post and I would much rather watch the NBA playoffs. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, in 2018, I start podcasting and I get connected to our mutual friend, Simon Hill. Mm. And at the time, Plant Proof hardly existed. Now it's the proof. But at that time, Plant Proof hardly existed. It, he was like, he had released like 10 episodes. Yeah. And we recorded a podcast. He was actually in Africa. <laughs> and 
I, we recorded a podcast together and it got released in July of 2018 and people freaked out. And it started getting social sharing in a viral way. I never understood what viral meant until this moment. That like three people share it, then nine people share it, then 27 people share it because everyone keeps sharing it. Mm -hmm. And then three new people get like basically spawned. Mm -hmm. And um, it was so powerful that first of all, it drove us together when we became very close friends. But also it made me feel like, gosh, there really is something here. People do care. And what is the best way for me to package this and put it out into the world? And my wife is kind of like, it's writing a book. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, and I've known that for six months. I've known that for six months. I've been waiting for you to say it. (laughs) So she, uh, she got me started. She's a master researcher. She understands how to figure out and navigate these types of things. Cause you got to figure out how to get a book deal. It's not that easy. Yeah. yeah. And she helped me figure that out. And I got my book deal in 2018. And then in 2020, my book came out fiber fueled as a passion project. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was not like intending to be an author, uh, but I did feel like the story needed to be shared. And so I wrote it um, and put it out into the world and it became a uh, instant bestseller, and now two hundred thousand people have purchased this book. Amazing! Amazing! And so, then my publisher comes back to me and says, "We we need more. Like you get, yeah. we need more, Doctor B, right?" And I'm like, "I don't think I can do it. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. This is too much. Like I'm I'm trying to be too much and be everything to everyone all at once. Mm-hmm. Being." full-time doctor being uh, online, you know, sort of public figure and having like all these people who have read my book and they're really desperate for help and they want my help and I can't do it. There's only so much of me. Mm. And um, so, but anyway, we made uh, the decision that I would do a cookbook because it would be easy. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) we'll just throw some recipes together and call it a day. And I couldn't help but use that opportunity, as, as we already discussed earlier, I couldn't help but use that opportunity to try to fill what I saw as a void within our healthcare system where there are people who are suffering and they need this. Mm-hmm. And now it's here. Amazing. Amazing. No, it's um, such a gratifying, empowering I know, story. The journey. I love that. I the love journey. That. So let's dive into the fiber. So my thought process is. What is fiber? What what you know? What foods do you need to focus on to have fiber? Second question is, what's the impediment? What you know? What problems? You know, every every time we introduce a food, there is a group of people that will have some resistance. They will have some um, allergies or some uh, some problems with it. And what are those problems? And how can we you know circumvent or resolve those problems? And thirdly, you know, what's in your mind? What's the fiber fueled revolution look like? If, if you had to bring a fiber-fueled revolution, uh, what would that look like? So let's start with the you know, fiber. What can we find fiber in? And, and uh, let's start there. So the beautiful thing is that fiber is not hard to find. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. All plants contain fiber. If you are eating plants, you are consuming fiber. The problem in the United States is that people are only 10% plant-based. ultra-processed foods where they extract the fiber and then add other stuff. 
and 30% animal products where people eat their more than their body weight in meat on a yeah. yearly basis. And the fiber content of that 220 pounds of meat that you have consumed this year is zero. Zero. And so it's um, not very complicated. We need to increase the um, attention that we play. You know, we need to increase the presence of plants in our diet. We need to allow them to take up a larger percentage, a much larger percentage than they currently do at 10%. Yeah. Um, now, like I am not casting stones. I just literally told you how bad my diet was. And mm -hmm. for most of my life, I was probably 5% plant-based. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So I'm not casting stones. I want to meet people where they are and I want to build a bridge that leads them to a, a um, plant predominant diet or better. Um, so, but to me, when you get there, when you are, most of your calories are coming from plants. Now you are um, getting to the levels of dietary fiber that will provide the benefits that we've been talking about of reducing your risk of these major diseases. And the reason why that happens is because our gut microbes process fiber for us. So um, now this is an important point and it comes into your second question, Dean, which is like, what's the impediment when it comes to this? So um, our gut microbes are actually required in order for us to process and digest fi fiber. If we did not have a microbiome, we would frankly just poop out our fiber and we would get no benefits from it. And this Andrew Reynolds study would have never happened. The Andrew Reynolds study, if we had no microbiome would say, there's no benefit to fiber. There's no value. Yeah. But there is. And the reason why there's benefit is because these microbes have capabilities. They add to our capabilities as humans and they can add their functional ability to working in teams, process and unpack the fiber and release it so that it stops being fiber. And it actually transforms into what I consider to be the most anti-inflammatory, most healing molecule that I have come across in my 20 years of studying medicine, which are the short chain fatty acids mm -hmm. and specifically butyrate. Mm -hmm. So, and when we think about the benefits of fiber that we are attributing, whether it be, um, you know, uh, preventing and reversing dysbiosis or damage to the microbiome or metabolism or our immune system and autoimmune diseases or our hormonal balance or our mood or our brain health. If you follow the path of like, why does this happen? Why does fiber help so much in these situations? The answer is almost always going to include on some level, this is not the whole story, but this is a very large part of the story. In almost all cases, it's going to include short chain fatty acids as yeah. a part of the narrative. Mm -hmm. So now what is the impediment? All right. Well, the impediment is first of all, um, people are not used to eating this. People are not used to eating these foods and that's problematic because you don't like these foods or you think that they're not attractive or they're not flavorful. Well, that's a, that's a bold faced lie. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's why we have this book Yeah. <laughs> Be because I can prove to you you know, before you even buy the book, quite simply, if you just flip through it, if you're at a bookstore, flip through it and look at the pictures and I, I will prove to you with those oh, pictures amazing. that the food, the food is delicious. It absolutely um, is. But if you're not eating fiber, you know, all good things in life come from practice. Our abilities as humans come from practice. 
when I used to play basketball, I was a very good shooter because I practiced. And then I stopped playing for a long period of time. And the next time I picked up a basketball, I was horrible. I was, I was horrible. And I used to be good. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Shocking how that works. You got to practice. <laughs> if, you, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Right. Right? Well, that includes our, our nutrition. Our gut microbiome turns out to be our most adaptable part of our entire body. Your dietary choices today will be reflected in your gut microbiome by tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And not to say that you are radically transforming the entirety of the microbiome in a day. Uh, it takes time to rebuild your microbiome. If you have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, it's going to take you not days. It's going to take you months, if not over a year. But that's to say that once you set this ball in motion, you will start to see these changes very quickly. They will start to take place. So it's very adaptable. But if you're not consuming fiber, fiber is the nutrient that we require uh, more than any other part of our diet. We require our gut microbes to help us. Yeah. We are leaning on them entirely. Mm -hmm. Like, catch us, help us, we need you. Yeah. Well, what if they're not up to the task? What if, what if they are inadequate relative to what we're asking them to do? What if this is excessive? That's when people struggle in the processing and digesting of fiber. And the problem is not the fiber. The problem is the gut microbes. They're not where they need to be. Yeah. They need to be fortified. They need to be strengthened. Well, there's a process that we can go through to, to address this. You're not stuck. You are not rigid. You are adaptable. You can be shaped and molded. You can add functionality that you don't currently have. You, it's like amazing what you can become if you make your mind up that you want to become that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, right? But the solution is not avoidance of fiber, which is what popular fad diets have been teaching us. Hmm. The solution is instead the consumption of fiber yeah. and practicing. But practicing with fiber in a way that is appropriate for what your gut microbes are actually capable of doing right now. And then building up from there. That to me was a light bulb moment in your book. The concept that um, you can actually rehabilitate your gut and the fact that if somebody has some trouble with a particular food, specifically fiber, we hear a lot about beans, you know, giving people gas and bloating and they completely avoid a particular food but you say no avoidance is not the answer it's essentially coming from the concept that you haven't really trained your gut to be able to digest and absorb these magnificent uh, foods and you know being in the world of neurology and um, understanding the concept of rehabilitation whether it's for say for example mm -hmm. stroke patients right when they have a right. stroke, a part of the brain, uh, you know, starts not functioning properly and you have the neurological manifestations of that, some neurological deficits. And with time, with rehabilitation, with physical, occupational speech therapy, that function slowly and gradually comes back. I had never Which thought Which is amazing. It, it really Which is. is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Same thing with cognitive impairment. You know, if you provide an individual an opportunity to... Um, involve themselves with some cognitive activities, they get better. The concept of neuroplasticity is based on that. Mm -hmm. 
never exactly. thought that this would apply in the GI world, in the gut, in the microbiomes, but you're saying that that's possible. And I think that's so empowering. It is. Oh, it's beyond possible. It's actually far easier than recovering from a stroke. Yeah. The, the brain is not as adaptable as these gut microbes are. These gut microbes are rapidly adaptable. You know, I mean, rebuilding neurons is challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, now, uh, Dean, the, your third question was the one I was the most excited to answer, okay. <laughs> which, which is what does a fiber fueled revolution look like? Yes. Right. And to me, a fiber fueled revolution is when we are in a place, I'm going to take, I'm going to be a bit indulgent here. So bear with me because uh, I'm excited for this question. So. <laughs> A fiber fuel revolution has successfully occurred when we live in a world where people are consuming plants in abundance, in diversity, and the, the, that dietary pattern is bringing such great and tremendous joy to their life because not only is it taste good and it has all the flavors and the textures and the colors, it's very easy on the eyes, very appealing, but also you have made zero compromises in terms of your health. In fact, rather than making compromises with your health where it could actually like cause injury to your body, you're actually making the choice that study after study after study shows is beneficial to your body yeah. Yeah. and beneficial to your gut microbi microbiome. And so this is where I want people to be is we're having a plant party and this is a very inclusive plant party. There is no holier than thou. Um, there's no judgment. Anyone who is excited about eating more plants, no matter what starting point you're at, you could be like just getting started and you're 5% plant-based, but you're excited to try. Get in here. Let's go. Yes. Let's have some fun and eat some plants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, and then, the last part of the of the fiber field revolution is people are having fantastic bowel movements, fantastic, <laughs> glorious because yes. they're having epic dumps. They're having epic dumps because you you can't you can't like enhance the value of your gut microbiome without feeling the benefit of a great bowel movement. That's part this, of the payoff. This party, yeah, this party has extra strength bathrooms. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it, 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 industrial industrial size, size right? bathroom. Yeah, well, at least two okay, to so three we got bowel the, movements a day. Oh, two to three bowel movements a day. And this is where you make the you make the decision that it's worth it to like, gosh, how much money do you spend on your television and your couch and like all these things when it's like you could invest in a wonderful bidet <laughs> that you're going to use a couple times a day that you're going to use a couple times a day. All right. And it brings great joy to your life and it's hygienic and it's great for the trees, which means it's good for the environment. Yes. Right. And, um, so, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you haven't made the transition yet, people, <laughs> I, I think I, I think Aisha is actually blushing a little bit, and I apologize no, for this. I was going to say, we, you were our best friend. You just became more of a best yeah, friend because so, we completely agree with you. So Italy was phenomenal. We just came from Italy from a trip. but Because they have bidets Italy, everywhere. Nothing about Italy was as great as every hotel. Every hotel had bidets. Yeah, forget about I'm, Sistine Chapel. Sistine Chapel. Who cares, right? No. Who cares about Michelangelo? The bidet. The, 
the food, the culture, who cares? It's yeah. about the bidet. That's why you, that's why you go to Italy. Oh, Dean loved it. it, was, it was, so I'm, I'm a bit of a, uh, so I, I, I do a lot of thinking and uh, most people have these meditative places. Mine is the bathroom sitting and thinking. I, I think it's TMI, but it's okay. Um, uh, there's nothing hidden. It's being recorded. That's where yeah. you wrote your books. That's where yeah. you wrote your books that's, and yeah, your I'm best telling, papers. Almost. Well, absolutely. A lot of the, a lot of the chapters happen there. When, when I come out of the, yeah, it's, it's, so it's an amazing place. But, but coming back to the bowel movements, I mean, literally one of the most important health signals one of the most important health signals in the in, in our life is our bowel, our bowel movements. Yeah, and and Absolutely. there's a reason that in Germany and some other countries, the, the toilets are designed in a way there's a shelf so that people actually can sample and give it to the doctors and so on and so because it is literally that important. Yet people go days without a bowel movement in the United States because the food is so processed that that your system is clogged up. It your your peristalsis is affected. There's this automatic movement. I'm, I'm speaking your lingo now, so I apologize. I'm just delving into your own. This peristalsis is, is actually affected. Yeah. So I really definitely think that if there is a signal to our health, it's our bowel movement, it's our gut health. And it, and it directly gives signal to the brain health because if, if gut health is not healthy, brain health cannot be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, there's interesting there's interesting data. So I'll, I'll tell you that, um, as you guys know, in Parkinson's disease, the prevalence of constipation is basically 100%. Right. Yeah. yeah. And one right. of the Anyone first signals is, is constipation. One of, 20 that's years the point. before the disease. That's the point. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who's constipated, this is not to scare people. That doesn't no. mean that if you're constipated, you are going to get Parkinson's. But the point is that it actually manifests first, this pattern manifests first in the gut before you actually express the neurologic symptoms downstream. Yeah. So um, constipation is epidemic. Constipation is epidemic. And I do think that looking at our bowel movements, we can joke about it, but actually I think it's time for us to let go of the stigma. Yeah. Because if gut health is uh, important to us, and I believe wholeheartedly that this is like essential for yeah. human health. Yeah. If it's that important, then the most clear window that we experience in our lives to our gut health is actually our bowel movement. Mm-hmm. 60% of the weight, the majority of the weight, 60% of the weight of your bowel movement is not the excrement of your food. It's actually gut microbes. Wow. So you are experiencing something that is a reflection of your gut microbiome and there's different um, stool patterns. So in my new book, I actually have a picture. I was just looking at it earlier when I was on the call with Rich Roll. Um, on page 30 of the book called The Bristol Stool Scale. Yeah. And so the Bristol Stool Scale, there's seven types of bowel movements. And actually recently, so the Bristol Stool Scale has been around for a while. Um, but in recent years, they have discovered that your Bristol stool scale pattern actually correlates to changes in your gut microbiome. Mm. So basically what we're saying is what your poop looks like can give you insights into your gut health. This is the vital sign for gut health, your bowel movement. Amazing. And, and, and I'm not exaggerating. It's not hyperbole. I think it's a signal for your health in general. 
Um, totally uh, so I, I, I really think that people have to start focusing on on what goes into their body and how it affects the microbiome, this incredible environment. You're outnumbered exponentially by your microbiome as far as your cell. You're more microbiome than you're human. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And But, you know, if we go back to, for example, the 30-day Alzheimer's solution, right? And you guys lay out both a diet and a lifestyle pattern that is beneficial for cognitive health. Yeah. Right? If we pull that up and start looking at it, every single part of what you describe runs through the gut microbiome. Yeah. Yeah. Every single part of it. So you you consume a high fiber diet. Well, the fiber comes into contact with the microbes yeah. and they produce short chain fatty acids. All right. You consume polyphenols, which are like the colors for the, for the people listening at home. Those are the colors in our food. Mm -hmm. And these are antioxidant compounds that are beneficial. Well, guess what? Polyphenols are almost worthless without our microbiome. They activate right. the polyphenols for us. Fascinating. We need these microbes, right? Um, exercise you guys talk about. Yeah. Well, guess what? Uh, research has shown that exercise actually causes a shift in the microbiome to produce more short-chain fatty acids. Amazing. Oh, wow. So, hmm. so without even changing your diet, you could eat the same number of grams of fiber, but you start exercising and you produce more short-chain fatty acids. But what do you think happens with a multiplier like that if you were to change your diet and exercise yeah. at the same time? That's when true, anyone who, who's ex experimented with these things, you know if you do one without the other, you get pretty mediocre results. Mm -hmm. But when you do both, you get amazing results. Amazing. And the reason why is because in part, we are um, creating a multiplier within the microbiome. Mm -hmm. So yeah. fascinating. I love that concept of uh, the exponential results that you see with the combination of different lifestyle factors. You know, even for brain health, we always talk about the um, a comprehensive uh, lifestyle with multiple facets to it. So food, exercise, sleep affects it as well. That's wonderful. Well, and that's very empowering. And this is this is where the brain gut access comes into play because the issue is that I will write a book like the Fiber Fields Cookbook, which by the way, um, this is far more than a cookbook. This is you know there are eleven mm -hmm. chapters that I wrote, and uh, over four hundred references. Yeah. So, I'll write a book like the Fiber Fields Cookbook, and it's the intent the intent because I'm a gastroenterologist, is to help you to improve your gut health. But it's also going to improve your, your cognitive health. Yeah. Yeah. And you will write the 30-day Alzheimer's solution. And your intent is to improve your cognitive health. But it will improve your gut health. Yes. This yeah. is the, because these are not separate things. This is the brain-gut axis. They are, they are completely intertwined. So you can't write a book without affecting me. Yeah. And I can't write a book without affecting you. We're inseparable, you guys. So you know, I, I, I This is the, the, what's that superhero, the Hall of... Uh, um, I forgot the name of that. It's been a while. That was uh, my teenage years. <laughs> but uh, you are one of the superheroes that's changing healthcare more than more than any physician that pushes pills. Now that comes from somebody who actually says pills are important. Medications are and very important. And 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 we're not the type of doctors that throws the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, they're important in the given time. But without lifestyle, without without food and and all these other factors, 
we're not doing anything to make a dent in the long term and the bigger scheme of health in the country. So no, we definitely consider you a one of those superheroes that's changing the world, especially in the gut world. And, and which, like you said, it's not just gut world. You, you're affecting our world, which is the neurological world. So Absolutely. True. So true. Um, I wanted to actually touch on um, a really interesting um, strategy that you uh, give to the audience in your book, um, in the Fiber Field Cookbook. I kind of feel uncomfortable calling it a cookbook will it's not just a cookbook i mean what cookbook do you know that has so many references it's just it's, it's a very comprehensive <laughs> lifestyle book and you know you you talk about something really innovative and you give the acronym growth growth stra strategy i want you to talk about that yes yeah, so it's interesting uh again the evolution was that this started off as a cookbook and then i decided that i wanted to take on food intolerances and i started writing I was writing for about two months and I came to this, um, I had this epiphany where I, I realized that I could create a process for healing and overcoming food intolerances and not only package it into an acronym, but when I could, when I discovered that I could package it into an acronym using a word that is so, I feel like it's, it's me and my community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or at least that's what I want it to be. I'm not trying to take ownership and steal it from someone else. I'm just trying to say like, you, you we, we can openly share this word, anyone who wants to come yeah. and join, but, but I, I'm, I'm trying to say that this is what I want us to be about, which is growth. Yeah. Uh, the growth mindset that Carol Dweck introduced in 2006. Yeah. And so, but in the book, what it became, I had to like rewrite a lot of stuff um, because I discovered this and then I made this the backbone of the book. And so I'm going to walk people through um, briefly and for the details, like every, every single thing that I describe here basically has a chapter. You're going to like get a chapter in every single part of this. Mm -hmm. So that when you're ready to take the deeper dive, check out the Fiberfield Cookbook. This is what the Fiberfield Cookbook really is about. So um, walking through, you go letter by letter, and it basically is going to guide you to healing your gut and overcoming food intolerances. G stands for Genesis. What is the root cause of your problem? Mm -hmm. This should be the first question in every healthcare encounter that takes place across the globe. Mm -hmm. um, not just gastroenterology or neurology or any, like literally our ability to properly treat our patients is entirely contingent on us properly understanding what we're actually treating. Because if we misunderstand it, then what we're gonna be making mistakes. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so start with understanding the root of your problem. And I have a big section in the book teaching people about some of the, the things and tricks that I use to make sure that I have addressed this properly and not make assumptions. You know, I, it's, I've seen many people who it's like, they get a label like IBS, you have IBS. And from that point forward for the rest of their healthcare encounters, everyone says you have IBS, but what if they don't have IBS? Mm. What if it's something else? Yeah. True. And so 
and this is this is these are the people who are frustrated because they never get better. Yeah. And the reason they never get better is because we didn't properly understand the root of the problem. We have to start there. Yeah. All right. Next, the next, I'm going to take three letters, R-O-W. They're like in tandem. They're like combined together. Um, so this stands for restrict, observe, work it back in. Okay. So I believe in a diet of abundance. I think I'm very forthcoming with that. <laughs> yeah. And um, so when I use the word restrict, I mean temporarily. What we're doing here is we're taking two steps backwards so that we can take 10 steps forward in terms of collecting empowering information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we take food, if you choose a food like, for example, garlic, and you remove garlic from your diet and see how you feel, and then you work it back in and see how you feel. You will answer the question, do you have an intolerance to garlic? That's all of the information that you need to answer that question. And these are sort of the tenets of, of what is an elimination diet, but people need to understand that elimination diet was always intended to be like this. Temporary elimination, not permanent elimination. You don't yeah. find something and then kick it to the curb permanently. Mm-hmm. Once you know, once you are empowered with the knowledge of knowing which foods you need to address, then you are ready to move to the next letter, which is T. And that stands for train your gut. And as we've been discussing, your gut is adaptable. It can be trained. It can be made stronger and fortified. And you can um, restore functionality that you don't currently have. Mm-hmm. That's all possible. And it just involves the proper process of like practicing yeah. or rehabbing or however you want to look at it. And that's what I teach in the book. And then finally, H is the last letter. And this is uh, actually perhaps my favorite one because I'm of the belief that this is this is the one for the people who have like um, bounced from doctor to doctor. This is the one that's life-changing in many cases. H stands for holistic healing. Yeah. Um, there are far too many people who have something in their possibly conscious, but also possibly non-conscious mind where they're not even really fully aware that this is troubling them, but it is troubling them. It's, uh, an unsettled event and it could be, it doesn't, there, there is no sort of threshold that can be defined from the outside of what that is. It comes from the inside. It comes from you. Like whatever this is, it could be a relationship with another person or a bad job or like a real true traumatic event like, you know, someone who died or whatever it may be, you know, a childhood uh, exposure, whatever it may be. If it's there, the instinct is to avoid it. But avoidance doesn't allow you to heal. And when you heal from these traumas, whether it's capital T or lowercase t, you actually are removing something that is chronically activating your sympathetic nervous system and ultimately suppressing your gut microbiome. 
So there are people that I've seen who bounce from doctor to doctor and they also like, they'll read my book and they'll come in and they'll say, I, doctor, I've tried everything that you say. I eat a diversity of plants. I exercise, I sleep, I meditate and I still am sick. And I had a person recently, she had ulcerative colitis and she didn't get better until she changed her job. She tried everything. Yeah. But when she changed her job, she went into remission. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. And so uh, the point from my perspective is that it can be very easy for all of us. Like I'm the most guilty of this of anyone. It can be very easy for us to like fixate on nutrition or to give a little bit of attention to lifestyle. But if this is present, if you have something that is unsettled in your, um, in your mind, then you're not truly going to be your healthiest self until it is actually settled. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And this, this, uh, the psychological basis and the connectivity with the gut and, uh, it's it's it can't be overstated. I mean, we now know that that relationship is so strong and so powerful, but to ignore it, you're doing so at your own peril. And and uh, we definitely have to get a better understanding of our own relationships and our own effects on. Um, uh, and it's it's a greater effect on our health. Um, we know this from the realm of anxiety, dementia, or these these discomforts that that create these patterns in our life that makes us more more immune well immune or uh, susceptible to disease uh, and the pattern that we see is the hypothalamus well the limbic system the emotional brain affects the hypothalamus which then affects the pituitary and that that cascade from the pituitary which is this hormone center affects everything including your yes. gut and your endocrine system everything else so so i love that fact that you actually bring that as the last point because with that without that last point again we're myopic we're just my little thing but it's not when you open that holistic thing it makes it so powerful so we love your approach which comes from your own experience mm -hmm. i um and i think it's going to help so many people because it's right there in one book I'm, it sounds like i'm selling the book but i'm not it's really truly i think that it's helpful. a gift absolutely yeah. and especially you know it doesn't really matter that we're a neurologist. One of the most common things that we hear about is oh. gut health issues. Yeah. In many ways, we're all a you know a version of a GI specialist. It is such a common thing. It's the right. common conversation in the clinic and in in family gatherings. It's just so prevalent, and people don't realize that all of our systems are connected to our gut and the gut affects all the other systems as well. I'm, I'm doing a, we're doing several reviews right now. One of them is microbiome and the brain. And it's incredible that how it affects every aspects of the brain. So that should be coming out fairly soon and we'll share it. But uh, yeah, no, that it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely important concept. So, you know, you, you talk about such beautiful concepts like the growth strategy. You've given um, such a beautiful roadmap for people who have food intolerances and food allergies, um, helping them to reintroduce foods that are so good for us, mm -hmm. that are associated with lower risk of disease, whether it's diseases of the GI or any other system. But at the same time, you make it so easy because the cover says fiber fueled, right? And it's... It's it's very easy for people to understand. Tell us 
or give us an idea of when someone picks up your book and opens it up, what are their experiences? What are they going to see? <laughs> um, all right. So it's kind of funny. I, I kind of see it as a three-step process when you get my book. Um, so the first step is that you crack it open and you just start flipping through <laughs> and it's like an Us Weekly. It's like a, ta it's like a tabloid. It is. Right? So turn off your brain and just kick back, like put your feet up and uh, enjoy the beautiful photos. <laughs> By the way, I have to tell you guys that I'm, I'm super proud of this book. And part of what I'm proud of is I feel like the photos are on par with the 30 day Alzheimer's solution. Cause oh, your photos are your, amazing. Your amazing. photography was gorgeous. amazing. Let's show some, uh, They're yeah. gorgeous. We'll definitely show that. Here's my favorite picture. The yeah, sourdough. The sourdough. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> That's me, baby. That's you with a Dutch oven and a beautiful sourdough inside. Absolutely. This really made me happy as a, as a sourdough bread lover. Yeah. Yep. So, well, and, and in the book, you know, one of my big things is that with this book, I'll, I'll get back to my like sort of three yes. things with yeah. in a moment. But, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to do here, this is not just about food intolerances. This is like supposed to be about how do you take your gut health to a better place, no matter who you are. Because even if you feel like you're perfectly healthy, you have no digestive health issues, you don't have food intolerances. Everything that I've said about the connection to digestion, metabolism, immune system, hormones, mood, brain health, energy levels, this is a precious commodity. Mm. We need to nurture this. Yeah. And so you shouldn't be waiting until you have a problem to start to do that. You should be doing that today. And this book is designed to help you accomplish that. And what I'm doing is I'm putting it on, like, let me just put all the tools on the table. Here's all the tools, all right? Like the plant diverse recipes, the low FODMAP protocol, the low histamine protocol, the fermentation, including sourdough, including sourdough pancakes, yes. <laughs> yes. including sourdough Cheez-Its. Yes. Music to my right. ears. Well, you got to do something with that sourdough starter, as you know, right? Oh, absolutely. So, and then we got the sprouts on the table too. Yeah. Okay. So we got all these things on the table. And my thing is this, make this your own. Make this your own. So no matter who you are, I'm not asking you to um, try to recreate what you perceive to be my diet. I'm asking you to find great joy using these tools that I've put on the table and apply them to your life in a way where if you take some, if you pick up some of these tools that I'm giving to you here, I believe that no matter what happens, you will be enhancing your digestive health. You will be improving your gut health. And ultimately I'm guiding you to a better relationship with your food where you're enjoying delicious food. Mm. That's where I think you're going. So anyway, uh, getting back to like the three things, the first thing yeah. is you look at it like a tabloid. Okay. The second thing is there's 125 recipes. So your instinct is going to be, okay, well, what am I going to cook? So find something that excites you. Yeah. And start there. And you're going to find a lot of recipes because one of the things that we did, so you have to understand, like, if you like the recipes in this book, then we can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> because... <laughs> I have made a lot of like ridiculous requests to Alex Caspero, who's the recipe developer for the book. And I would like to call her up and be like, Alex, I just want you to know I've always wanted 
a vegan version of Nashville hot chicken. I've always <laughs> wanted it. We need it in this book. And she's like, okay, I'll figure it out. And she created Nashville, Na Nashville, not chicken. Oh, Amazing. Wow. All right. So, um, and I'm a big believer in flexibility, uh, making choices that you like, like having accoutrements and you pick and choose what accoutrements you want to throw in there. And I'm also a big believer in ethnic food. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I feel like one of the most exciting things about being plant-based is that there are cultures from across the globe yeah. that are individual, they are unique, they're special. And food is right at the center of their story. And it almost always involves plant-based food because going back through history, no one could afford to eat predominantly meat. Absolutely. So it had to be a plant-based thing. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to celebrate with this book is um, the cultures from across the globe and the story behind the food. So like not just the recipe, but also the head notes. Yeah. And the stories. And then, so <clears throat> so you, you check it out like a Us Weekly. That's day one. Day, day two, you start like getting into the recipes. But then within the first week, I expect you to start reading. Yeah. Yeah. And start reading, start from the beginning and work your way through. There's 11 chapters. And uh, I think that what you're going to find is a lot of information that you get to pick and choose what parts of that information change your life. Mm. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. Beautiful. Beautifully Absolutely. organized. I cannot wait to dive in. I have been just looking at these gorgeous pictures and I have a couple of sticky notes, especially in um, the um, the kimchi and the pickle section. I saw this beautiful spread of kvass and salsa and radishes and torshi and kimchi, things that we just grew up eating yeah, as yeah. children Amazing. because my mom and my grandmother would always make pickles at home and it just felt like this book was made for us. Um, Will, thank you so much for the book, for this beautiful conversation, for your message, and for everything you're doing. You're really, you know, tackling some of the very common uh, misunderstood concepts, and you do it with such grace and with science being the most important pillar behind everything you do which we value so much. Um, you're not only a myth buster, but you're trying to help people implement evidence-based information in their lives. I think that's just wonderful and we're grateful to you for that. Well, I'm very, I feel very blessed and fortunate. Um, you know, we, I shared my story earlier and it's just a lot of circumstances and opportunities and one thing led to another. This was not the plan and here I am. <laughs> And I feel very blessed to have the um, opportunity to use my platform to do things that can change people's lives and to fill gaps that exist, whether it be in the nutritional space or in healthcare or in gastroenterology. You know, when I see that there's something that needs to be done it's kind of fun and cool to know that like, I'm not um, trying to toot my own horn here, but I think there's 75 million people in America that need this book. 
Yeah. And there's no solution that's been developed that can hold up to the science, the evidence, the legitimacy of what you will find in this book for those people. This goes beyond what they can currently receive from their doctor. And so my hope is that the doctors see that. Mm-hmm. And then they start saying, and by the way, your food intolerances, I got a great book for you. Yeah. So and it, it's not it's not about uh, whether or not I get paid. It's It's about the impact that I can make in people's lives. That's really what I care about. Well, you already have. Oh, I mean, for sure. Uh, so that's um, that's goes without saying. And to give somebody uh, some of our patients, some of the population we see, uh, the kind of knowledge that's that's translatable and they can actually bring to their home is the most important gift you can give. So, thank you so much. And uh, our goal: seventy-five million books sold. Yeah. Yeah. Let's a, go for that. That's, that's a good number a, to go with. That's a good number. Yeah. And um, so the book is Get out. Get out of the way, and, James Clear. Get out of the way, James Clear. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Sit yeah. down, James Clear. Um, yeah. So people can find it anywhere where books are sold. Uh, we'll put information in the podcast notes. Um, and um, what's your favorite recipe, by the way, Will, in, from the book? Um, I Okay. So... I really love the sweet and spicy peanut tempeh tempeh lettuce wraps because I've always liked lettuce wraps, but this is just so next level. And we actually, I did a collaboration with one of the uh, best restaurants in Charleston. It's called Basic Kitchen. If If anyone comes to Charleston, go to Basic Kitchen. And we did it in January and they served the peanut, the sweet and spicy peanut, uh, uh, peanut tempeh lettuce wraps. And they sold out by 7 p.m. every single night. Oh, oh my goodness. gosh. That's okay. amazing. That's, that, that's I was there one night and I couldn't even get my own dish. I was like, you're kidding me. You're telling me that I can't have my own dish? <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. I came here for my own dish. <laughs> you <laughs> should make that so for our audience. Definitely. Yes. So the sweet and spicy peanut tempeh lettuce wraps. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's because we have to. There's we we have to have that large title because it has to like share that it is both oh, yeah. sweet and spicy, yeah. and then the peanut sauce, right? The peanuts, like that's so money with the tempeh, because tempeh is like once you start getting into tempeh, yeah. yeah, you're never going back because you can make it so it's so versatile it can become whatever you want it to be. Yeah. I cannot so, agree more. One thing I just wanted to say real quick is that people have choices in where they buy their books. And I am grateful if you buy my book anywhere. I I truly am. But um, recognizing that like the great aggregator in the sky is not going out of business, but your uh, local bookshop in your community might be going out of business Mm. or at a minimum, the pandemic has not been good to most bookshops. Mm-hmm. So because people turn, tend to turn towards Amazon instead of buying it at the local spot. So whenever possible, I, I just ask that, you know, if it's my if it's my call, I'd rather you hand that $20 bill to your neighbor who owns that bookshop than handing it to the great aggregator who's already super rich. Um, and for people who are interested, actually, you can get signed copies of this book. There are limited quantities. This is not going to continue if you're listening to this uh episode like six months from now, but um, there are, there's limited quantities, but you can get signed copies of the Fiberfields cookbook. Just come to my website and you'll find the link to Blue Bicycle, which is my local Charleston bookshop. Mm. And I signed a whole bunch of copies and you don't have to pay any extra and I'm not making any extra money off of signing them. Uh, quite simply, I just went in there and signed a lot of books 
And if you'll pay for shipping and handing, they'll send it to you. Oh, oh amazing. How I mean, beautiful that's, is that? That's, I love that so okay, much. Okay, that, right. that's even more incentive. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's such a beautiful journey. So thank you so much. So we'll put your website information in the podcast notes for everybody. Will, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you so much, guys. It's, it's always good to see you. We'll see you soon then. Say hi to the family. Take right, care. Take care.